As you know, we are continuing in this series, Praying God's Word. And we're discovering that there is power in praying God's Word. We've been looking in particular at the prayers of the apostles. And we looked at the first prayer of Paul in chapter 1. And over the four weeks, uh, these past four weeks, we've been looking at this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. The focus of our message today will be on verse 19, where we will look especially on that phrase, being filled with God's fullness. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, where we will read verses 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Why? That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So, Holy Spirit, you have authored this word, and now we ask that you would write it upon the tables of our hearts. We need you, Holy Spirit. We don't need another sermon. We need revelation. We need rhema from heaven. So we open up our hearts to you today. I pray for the anointing of God upon these lips and upon the ears of every listener that we might hear what the Spirit of God is saying to his church today. And we will be careful to give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen, amen. amen. So as I said, for the past four weeks, we've been looking at specific prayer objectives that Paul is outlining in this passage of scriptures. And we uh, said you can find them more readily if you look for that word, that, which is a transitional word that Paul says, I pray this for that reason, and then he gives the reason. And then he says, I'm praying that for this reason. And we continue on in the passage of Scripture. But it brings us to that end goal, which is in verse 19, to be filled with all the fullness of God. Is there a higher goal to achieve as believers than to be filled with all the fullness of God? But we have learned that before we can be filled with all the fullness of God, first of all, we need to be strengthened with might by God's spirit in our inner man. We can never get to verse 19 until we first of all are strengthened with might 
by God's spirit in our inner man. You know, we're living in a world where there is so much focus on the strengthening of this physical body. And I've been admonished by a family. Dad, I know that you believe in walking and you, you do, do a great job at that, but you know, you need other strengthening and you need to do, uh, what, what do they call those exercises where you're strengthening your muscles. I, and it's important, bodily exercise profits some, the scripture says. But there is a strengthening that God wants to bring into our inner man. And unless we have that strengthening in our inner man, why, why, why does Paul say that we need to be strengthened by God's spirit in our inner man? So that Christ may dwell in our hearts. Unless the spirit of God enables us to allow Christ to dwell in our hearts, he will become nothing more than a Sunday morning visit. But that's not why he saved us. He saved us so that he might set up a permanent dwelling place in our hearts. Can we say this morning that Christ is dwelling, residing, He's established a home in my heart. It's not just for an occasional visit, but 24 hours of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, not withholding one moment. He is dwelling in my heart. That's why he saved us. And if we are living any kind of experience other than knowing the indwelling of Christ's presence in us, and we're not experiencing the fullness of the salvation that he died to bring. In order that Christ, do you notice that he says Christ? He didn't say Jesus. We get real comfortable with Jesus, don't we? Because he was the, he was the man who walked the shores of Galilee. He was, he was the friend of sinners and he still is all of that. But let's never lose sight of the fact that he is the Christ of God. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the holy, holy God. And he cannot come into a heart where there is unholiness and impurity and uncleanness. We think that we could be married to Christ and married to the world. It does not work that way. The scripture says, if we will be a friend of this world, then we are an enemy of God. That's not the relationship that God called us to. He called us into an intimacy. He called us into a love relationship with him so that Christ, the holy son of God, might dwell in our hearts and take up permanent residence there. And that is so awesome, isn't it? To think that Christ wants to abide in me. It's glorious, but that's not the end. Paul wants to take us deeper in order that we might become rooted and grounded in love. With Christ dwelling in our hearts, if we really know him in his living reality, 
we're going to know one thing above all else, and that is that God is love. And his son is love, and his son came to reveal the love of the Father to us. And how can we ever, ever know the love of God? We sang about it this morning. I'll never know how much it cost for him to hang on that cross for you and for me. But we could meditate upon that truth. We could revel in that reality that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we, we think about John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And yet this morning we say, yeah, I, I love God. I, I love Jesus. But how are we demonstrating that love? How are we giving evidence of that love? When it comes to sacrifice and demonstrating in tangible ways the love of God, it's so difficult. It's difficult for Christians in America to get up on Sunday morning to go to church to worship God. It's too much of a sacrifice. But, but how can we ever feel that way, Christian friends? When he gave his all for you and for me, so great was his love. And we are now to get rooted and grounded, not in religion, not in ritual, not in church. We're to get rooted and grounded so that when the storms of life come, we're rooted and grounded in the love of God. And we can say, I am persuaded that nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. COVID can't do it. Sickness can't do it. Tribulation, trial, disappointment can't do it. Whatever happens to me in the workplace can't do it. I am secure in the love of God because I've gotten the soil of my heart down deep. My roots are down deep in the love of God. Now, why do we need to get rooted and grounded in love? In order that we might then have strength to comprehend. To comprehend. Do you remember a few weeks ago, we were talking about that word and how it's translated in Greek, katabon, balano, and that means you, you need to seize this. You need to go after this with all of your heart. So when we say in the depth of our heart, God, I want to know you. God, I want to experience your love. Are you just saying that as a matter of just ritual or vain repetition? Or from the depth of your heart, are you saying, God, there's more of you that I don't know, more of you that I must have. Your love is so amazing. Your love is so great. I want to lay hold of it in all of its dimensions, in its breadth, in its length, in its depth, and in its height. This experience, Paul says, of coming to know the love of God is really to comprehend that which is incomprehensible. 
Isn't that an irony? Because it defies every attempt to bring description to it. And that's why we need, that's why Paul prayed that you might have strength from the Holy Spirit, that you might have power to lay hold of. We can't do that in our natural selves. This heart is so prone to wonder. Instead of going after God, it's prone to go after the things of the flesh. It's prone to go after things that are dishonoring and displeasing to God. We need the strength of God to come into us so that we might embrace and apprehend and lay hold of that which God has for us. When we think about the love of God, I just need to take a real brief detour here because I can't preach a sermon about the love of God and not mention what I believe is one of the grandest hymns, the love of God. I know we don't sing that in our churches anymore, but I don't know if you all know the story behind that grand hymn. It was written by Frederick Lehman in the early 1900s. And after he penned the first two verses, the Spirit of God prompted a memory in his heart of how he was once in a camp meeting many years ago and he heard the evangelist tell the story behind that verse in that grand hymn, The Love of God. He was so touched by those words that he wrote them down and he said, these will be the third stanza of that verse. The preacher told the story of how those words were penciled on the wall of a patient's room in an insane asylum. And to think had Fred Lehman not captured those words in writing them down, we would be bereft today of one of the greatest hymns that brings such poetic revelation to the immensity of God's love. Try to capture this in your mind. Could we with ink the ocean fill? Think about three quarters of the earth's surface is water and it was all ink. And were the skies of parchment made and were every stalk on earth a quill, a pen, and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Oh, love of God, how rich, how pure, how measureless and strong it shall forever more endure the saints and angels' song. When we get to heaven, we'll still be singing and understanding the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of the love of God. So wonderful it is that Paul prays for strength for us to comprehend it, his great magnificent love of God. And so we come to the revelation of God's love and it transforms us. You can't encounter God's love without being transformed. You can encounter religion. That'll make you a legalist. 
You'll have no joy in your life. All you'll worry about is following a, a rule book of do's and don'ts. And when you do something that you don't, you'll be under guilt and shame and under condemnation. That's not the salvation that Jesus brought. He brought that we might know the law of liberty in the spirit, that we are no longer under the bondage of sin, but we're free to live a holy and a pure life, that out of hearts that are pure and holy, we could love God. And so this is so wonderful to come to that place where we experience the love of God. It means that we're growing up into Christ. We're beginning to develop and show maturity because it is going to lead us then into experiencing the fullness of God. And why is it so important to be filled with all the fullness of God? Well, I love what John Owens wrote many years ago. We are never nearer Christ than when we find ourselves lost in the amazement of his unspeakable love. And isn't that what Paul just prayed? We don't have the fullness of God in our lives unless we have the revelation of how deeply he loves us. And I know that there are so many Christians that have an orphan spirit they don't understand that they have a heavenly father who loves them unconditionally, who loves them in spite of their faults and foibles because he sees the posture of their hearts to love him back. He sees their desire to walk in holiness. He sees their desire to have one thing that is set before them that they might know him in the power of his resurrection. That's what Paul is praying for because without this revelation of the fullness of God's love for us, we will never come to know the experience of being filled with all of God's fullness. And Paul says it's impossible. You know why he's saying it's impossible? Because this human heart could never contain all of it. But the reality is we can always grow more into it. And we're going to see in a few moments how God wants us to do that. But I want us to notice something else at the end of verse 19. What do you see there? You see a period. Because we don't get another that. When we get to this place where we grow in the revelation of the love of God... There's not another that so that you can now this. Being filled with all the fullness of God is the revelation of how deeply he loves us and how deeply we are to love one another. Not according to our standard. We need to pull out the standard of 1 Corinthians 13. That's the measure of God's love. It loves the unlovely. It loves when we are not loved. It loves when we are hurt. It loves when we are offended. It forgives when we have been transgressed by the unforgivable. Do you see how we need to grow in this? Do you see how we need to mature more and more into this that we might be filled with all the fullness of God? But when we come to that place where God's love is burning like a passionate fire in our hearts that is consuming us. 
and causing us to love others and love the unlovely, then we've reached the climax, the mountain of Christian experience. There's, there's nothing beyond being filled with all the fullness of God. And I know as charismatics, we chase after a lot of things. But there's no prayer like this prayer. Lord, I want to be filled with all the fullness of God. That statement I know defies description. It defies understanding and comprehension. How, how can we begin to define being filled with all the fullness of God when we're so puny, aren't we? Even in our minds, we're, we're so finite, but God is so infinitely great. He's so awesome. He's, he's just beyond our ability to comprehend. But I love what Adam Clark, a biblical scholar from the 1700s, wrote this and really nails it when he said, among all the great sayings in this prayer, this is the greatest. To be filled with God is a great thing. To be filled with the fullness of God is still greater, but to be filled with all the fullness of God utterly bewilders the sense and confounds the understanding. So the question is, how in the world do we approach a scripture like this? Sometimes we approach it with some wrong perspectives. And I just briefly want to mention them. We read a verse like that and we say, that's the epitome of what the Christian experience is to be like. And that's for the super saints. And I ain't one of them. <laughs> I'm not going to ask for any amens, but we know who we are standing and sitting out there who really feel that way. But do we understand something? There is no such thing as some who are called to be super saints and uh, others of us, well, we're just regular Christians, you know? We just go to church on Sunday morning and yeah, we read our Bibles, we pray, we pay our tithe, but... You know, this, this thing of being filled with all the fullness of God, are you, are you kidding me? That's, that's not something that I'll ever achieve. The reality is, in the body of Christ, we have different gifts. We have different functions. But we all have the same calling. And that calling is to be filled with all the fullness of God. It's not for the super saints. The reality is that this Christian experience, this call to discipleship requires all of our heart and it comprehends the first commandment that is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with all of our soul. It's not just a thought on a Sunday morning. It's a lifestyle that radically changes how we think, how we feel, how we act, how we talk, how we walk, so that our hearts can be opened to all that God has for us. Can I remind us who Paul was writing to when he prayed this prayer? He was writing to the Ephesians. Do you remember where the Ephesians lived? Yeah, in Ephesus. Do you remember what was in Ephesus? The Temple of Diana. And all of Ephesus permeated with the promiscuous and debauched 
practices that took place with all the prostitution and sexual immorality in that temple. It was pervasive. And Paul is saying, you Ephesians, you've been saved out of all of that. And now God wants to fill you with all of his fullness. Do we, do we see this morning, Christian, this is for us. This is for me as, as frail and failed as I am. God wants to fill me with all of his fullness. God wants to fill you with all of his fullness. It's within our grasp. It's for us. I fear that we could get so accustomed to reading familiar scriptures that we just gloss over them and they become Bible speak. You know, especially those of us who've been Christians for years and we've made it a habit. We, we read through our Bible over and over. And God forbid it gets to this place, but sometime we get more focused on, oh, here's my daily reading. I, I've got to get through this if I want to get through the Bible. And we're just reading black letters on white paper. It's not the Spirit of God writing his word on our hearts. But when we read Ephesians 3 and verse 19, is it speaking to us? Are we personalizing it? Don't say, oh, Paul's writing to the Ephesians, say Spirit of God. This is praying the word. This is what it means to pray the word. We read the word and we pray the word. We're just not reading through a chapter so we could get through it and say, oh, I've read through that chapter today. What in that chapter spoke to your heart that you can now pray back to God and say, God, write this on my heart. Make this part of my DNA. So it orders the way I live, the way I talk, the way I think, the way I walk. There's another wrong perception. And that's sometimes we think that it's some mystical, unattainable concept. And you know, we, we love that verse in Proverbs 25 and verse 2 that says, it's the glory of God to conceal a thing. And this is one of those things that we will never understand. Well, Paul even said it. We could never comprehend. It's incomprehensible, the love of God. And yet the scripture says that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. So we're good at quoting Proverbs 25 and verse 2 and thinking that this, why would God give us his word if he wants to conceal it? What we need to do is pray, Holy Spirit, reveal it. That which my mind cannot understand. Spirit of God, enlighten my mind. Isn't that what we learned in Ephesians 1? God, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. We'll never have a knowledge of more of God unless the Holy Spirit reveals God through the word. I know a lot of us chase after extra scriptural experiences and thinking that they are the means of receiving revelation of more of God. And I'm not saying that God does not at times give us dreams and visions and uh, whatever way he chooses. He, he works in a number of ways, but none of that supersedes this. And all of that must be aligned with this. And if it's not aligned with this, you better question, did God really say that to me? Sorry, that wasn't part of my message, but it's an important thing. So... Proverbs also tells us 
that if we seek for hidden treasure, we're going to find it. Are we seeking for hidden treasure this morning? What's this Christian walk? What's this Christian experience to be like? You know, so often we judge what Christianity is to be based on how our life is. But why don't we define the Christian life as the Apostle Paul defined it? And when we read the Word of God, it is clear that the Christian life, it's not a bed of roses. Some people have the idea, come to Jesus, you'll never have another problem again. The devil is a liar. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to be persecuted. It's not easy, but it is also at the same time incredibly victorious and incredibly glorious. The truth of what the Apostle Paul said is even more striking because in spite of everything, we haven't gone through a fraction of what the Apostle Paul experienced. And yet, he was able to say, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. He was able to sing and give praise in that Philippian jail after he was beaten and his hands and feet were put into stocks. He was on the victory side regardless of what took place in his life. Was it because Paul was so holy? Do you know what his assessment of himself was? I'm the chiefest of sinners. <laughs> but he still experienced the fullness of God. And that's why he wanted every believer to come to know the experience of the fullness, fullness of God. Now, I don't think any of us have any problem recognizing that this prayer certainly sounds so wonderful and it is glorious but what does it look like in practical experience? How do we wrap our minds around this idea? How do we approach a scripture like this? First of all, to understand scripture, we, we learn through hermeneutics, which is the science of interpreting scripture. You always need to look at context. If we're going to be able to apply the word of God to our hearts, what's the context? What's in Paul's mind when he's making these statements? The important thing that we want to see is how Paul views believers. Those who comprise the body of Christ. What does Paul say in Ephesians chapter 2, which he had already spoken to the Ephesian Christians about? In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place. Listen to that. You are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Do you know what Paul has in mind? He has in mind a temple, a dwelling place for God. What was unique about the Old Testament temple? That was the place where the people of God believed that God's presence dwelt. And as Paul is praying this prayer, don't we see this same thread where he's saying that they might be strengthened in their inner man. Why? So that Christ might dwell in their hearts. 
In the same way he dwelt in the tabernacle, now he's dwelling in this tabernacle. And then he prays that you might be rooted and grounded in love to be able to comprehend the love of Christ. Why? So that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. This is temple imagery. God is coming in and all of his presence is permeating our very hearts and lives. What happened in the Old Testament temple when Nadab and Abihu offered up strange fire, they were struck dead. And we say, oh, thank God that was in the Old Testament. But we come to the New Testament church, and in the book of Acts, we read about Ananias and Sapphira because they lied, they were struck dead. Where were they? They were not in the temple. They were in the church where the believers were gathered. See, there's a shift. In the Old Testament, the presence of God dwelt in the tabernacle, in the temple. But in the New Testament, where's God's dwelling place? In his church. You know, in the Old Testament, when uh, temple, uh, Solomon's temple was built and dedicated, the scripture tells us, fire came down and consumed the sacrifices. But what happened in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost? Tongues of fire descended upon 120 of them. Why did fire come down? Because now they were the dwelling place of God. Do we see the distinction? Do we see the difference in how this clearly aligns with all of Paul's theology throughout all of the epistles? What did he say to the Corinthians? Don't you know you are God's temple. You are God's dwelling place. Think about what Jesus said. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our, make our, I still didn't hear you, make our home he wants to take up permanent residence within us that's an amazing and fantastic thought is it not because we think about when Solomon dedicated the temple he said heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you how much less this house that I've built for you nothing can contain God but God says, by my spirit, I want to dwell in the hearts of the members of the body of Christ, the church, the bride. And I'm saying all of this to say when we think about being filled with all the fullness of God, we need to recognize he's speaking about a temple. And in all the places in this world, there is one place that is unique above all others. God chooses to manifest his presence in and through us. I just pray this morning that something that we have heard all of our lives, we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. That the reality of that would so burn in our hearts that we would so desire that God would in all of his fullness fill us. And there's one 
more thought I want to leave with you this morning, and that is what it means to be filled with the fullness of Christ. When we think of being filled, we generally think in terms of the container, right? This pitcher, fill this pitcher up with iced tea, fill this glass up with water, and when it gets to the top, it's filled. But that's not how the Bible understands or defines fullness. Listen to these scriptures. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Does that mean that they were filled to the top and there was no room for anything else? Colossians 1.9 talks about being filled with the knowledge of the will of God. Do you come to a place where you're filled with the knowledge of God and you don't need any more knowledge of the will of God? No, no, no. Jesus said to the disciples, sorrow has filled your heart. Does that mean they were never to know any other sorrow? No. When the uh, Pharisees rebuked the, the, uh, the apostles, they said, your teaching have, has filled Jerusalem. Did every single person in Jerusalem hear their teachings? No, 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 no. There were still others that needed to hear it. So while we think of filling in terms of capacity, in the scripture, filling is being permeated by an influence, and it has nothing to do with capacity. So when we speak about joy and sorrow, teaching, comfort, when we speak about the love of God and knowing the love of God, it doesn't mean that we have once and for all achieved an end it means that we are being permeated and filled with an influence, but there is still more to be had. And after we get that more, there is still yet more to be had. There is always more of God to be had. I just want to know today, are we hungry for the more of God? Are we thirsty for the more of God? Do we recognize that our hearts have a greater capacity for the more of God? That was Paul's prayer for the Ephesian Christians. That's the cry of the Holy Spirit for each and every one of us today. There is always more room for God, but God will only come where he is invited. Are we hungry are we thirsty for more of God? He wants to fill us today with all of his fullness. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes as we ask the Holy Spirit to just seal this word of truth to our hearts. So Father, this morning, we pray that as your spirit has placed his finger upon some area of our life that needs to come into alignment with you, some sin that needs to be repented of that is hindering us from reaching that place where you've called us to, Holy Spirit of God, help us to see, help us to hear, Help us to know today. Strengthen us with might by your spirit in our inner man that Christ may dwell in our hearts. That we being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, 
and the height and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Melody is closing the service with a special song.